Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Dennis, it's uh, fantastic to have you along on the Aritape podcast today. Uh, I've known you for not a very long time, a few months, and we've been trying to make this happen, and uh, we're finally here. So, uh, welcome on what is in Brisbane, a very rainy Monday. How's the weather where you are? Yeah, thanks, Richard. Great to be here. Actually, I'm actually down on the Gold Coast. So, oh, you're on the Gold Coast today? Yeah, yeah. I'm up here for a couple of days. So, right. Same overcast, went for a good walk this morning. Nice to be out. Oh, that's excellent. All right, so Dennis, uh, why don't we just get things started? Just let us know, um, what are your current professional responsibilities? I'm the Managing Director of uh, InMode in Australia and New Zealand, look after the Pacific Rim. So responsible for the whole um, range of business requirements for establishment of a, of a company in, in this aesthetic industry. Uh-huh. And um, when you say you're the managing director for the, you know, the ANZ or the Pacific Rim um, uh, operations, so this is a global business? Yeah, we're a publicly traded company on the NASDAQ Stock Exchange. So we went uh, public at September 2019, just okay. before COVID really started its spread around the globe. Right. Okay, and uh, and so what are what are InMode all about? What do you guys do? So we provide predominantly cosmetic or aesthetic medical devices to specialists and non-core uh, operators or users of the technology. So it'd be um, plastic surgeons, dermatologists, cosmetic physicians, uh, cosmetic surgeons, high-end medispas, beauty. So a range of technologies focused primarily in radio frequency. So mm -hmm. anti-aging uh, is, is primarily skin tightening. Anti-aging is, is where we focus primarily. Right. And how did you become involved uh, in that industry? Well, it goes back many, many years. So uh, actually, I'll I can't... If we're gonna go, if we're gonna do the, we'll go back and do the full story. Maybe we just just hold fire on that question for a moment. So, um, uh, so how long has this particular business been in existence? Um, you know, the parent company. So the parent company started about eight years ago, uh -huh. ten to eight years ago, um, predominantly in the minimally invasive side of the business. So not not full surgical, mm -hmm. and then. About five years ago, the company really started as in mode on a global basis. Five to eight okay. years ago. And give us a sense of the the size of the global business in terms of well, obviously, you know, any don't reveal any commercially in confidence information here, but uh, you know, what sort of um, turnover and how many people and how many countries, etc. Yeah, so we operate basically globally. So we have. Um, we're in the uh, obviously our we're an Israeli uh, company, so our head office is, is in Israel. But we mm -hmm. have our major offices in in North America. So we have our corporate head office in Israel. We have our major office in the US. 
We have European subsidiaries, uh, Spain, France, um, UK, Asia. We have direct office here in, in Australia, mm-hmm. um, offices in China with joint ventures over there. So we, we basically operate in about 54 countries. Mm-hmm. We have close on 500 uh, employees worldwide. Um, we just released, or we're about to release our Q1 figures uh, to the market in a couple of uh, weeks' time. But at the end of 2020, we had record revenues of about $206 million, which were US, about a 32% growth year on year. Wow. We had, a, yeah, we had a great Q4. We had a 60% growth Q4 2020 over 2019. Um, so the company and the business is been regarded as the fastest growing aesthetic device company in in the market okay so uh, so the company is doing exceptionally well there was a report that came out in january on the aesthetic market and basically said there were only two um, aesthetic device companies that were profitable and growing in 2020 and InMode was one of them so um, that's in the world is it dennis yep, yep wow that's, that's excellent and i think dennis uh, from our last conversation uh, in many respects, um, uh, COVID has been, you know, good for your business in that people have had discretionary um, spending that they may have normally spent on travel and things like that, that uh, if they can't travel, they may as well make themselves look extra beautiful. Absolutely. And <laughs> when, you, when you talk to, uh, and, and that happens, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, people, particularly in our demographic, in our geographic area, mm-hmm. will go over to Asia uh, have treatments done there or visit family, et cetera, have treatments done there and come back. So because of COVID, they haven't been doing that. So, mm-hmm. and uh, particularly in lockdown, and I think Zoom has played a massive part in that because people have had to adopt this new way of interacting with people and looking at a screen all day, people become very aware of their looks. Ah. They one, one worrying about how they look, they identifying in their mind areas for improvement. Right. I think that that's been a driver behind it. Um, and then when people come out of lockdown, when you talk to clients, they like, you know, the business drops off and as soon and they go into a bit of a lockdown or they went into a couple of months mm-hmm. of lockdown. And as soon as they come out, they're thinking, you know what, I've got to get out there. I've got to do something, make myself feel better, look better. In case we go into lockdown again, so right. our clinics and clients have um, really been performing exceptionally well. Through oh, that's that. I hadn't thought about it that way, Dennis. Uh, I'm sitting here. I'm on Zoom from often from seven a.m. till nine p.m. Looking at my ugly mug, and I often say to people, "I've got a face for radio," if you know that expression. And uh, I haven't ever sort of thought, "Oh, I know what I need to do. I need to go and get some uh, cosmetic work done." I just yeah. think. Um, grow old disgracefully but uh dennis you're you're looking particularly handsome today so obviously uh you you, you're a solid user of your own products actually that's one of the problems i I haven't used the technologies too much (laughs) which i should but um yeah i don't know just uh, i think i work for a great company got a good team of people that keep me young right we have a lot of fun I have a friend of mine, he is a vet and his wife is a GP that specializes in uh, cosmetic anti-aging 
uh, uh, treatments. And anyway, uh, every time I see him, he is more and more Botoxed. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I won't say his name, but, uh, but anyway, uh, yes, he, um, uh, I think uh, he's become a slave because once uh, his wife really got into this, she uh, felt not only would she do it for herself, but she would do it for him too. Uh, oh, that's really interesting, Derson. Well, look, let's... Um, uh, let's come back to all of that and let's say, uh, you know, you're obviously not an Australian by birth. Tell us a little bit about, you know, where you were born and your early life, mum, dad, etc. Yeah, born in South Africa and um, one of four kids. So I'm the third youngest. And about 2000, yeah, I think it was about two, in 2000, uh, I owned a, an IT company. Uh, so I'd been in, in really pharmaceutical uh, sales, marketing. Uh, my qualification was in marketing. So in, in the pharmaceutical industry for a while, and then I, I left that, went into IT, because that was the growth area that uh, back in, in those days. So sorry, Dennis, let's just, uh, let's just go back a little further than that. So born in South Africa, yep. you're, you're the third of four kids. Yep. Right. What what sort of things did mum and dad do? Was your dad in business, or what? What was he all about? Yeah, I think he was he was really the the base line for I think our, our family. He was the managing director of a large multinational uh, company, Alstom. Um, oh yes, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. So he headed up that. He he, and so he was very very involved in in business. Mm-hmm. Mum was a stay at home. She was the one who had to keep us in line. Yeah. Which she did very well. And when uh, you were growing up, Dennis, um, was there a lot of talk about business around the, the dining table? You know, uh, did, did what your dad was doing, you know, really sort of light a spark for you? What did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, interesting that never going into his industry. Because right. he, he was in the foundry industry and in, in this large multinational. I think it was more just the way he he did business. I interacted a lot with the employees of the company. I'd go around to the company. In holidays, I'd work there. <clears throat> I used to work with the metallurgists. Um, and it was just listening to uh, just, just the way they, they would interact. They would talk the way people respected how he did things. And he was very successful mm-hmm. in, in industries that were struggling. Their business was doing exceptionally well. So when I looked at that, I was like, wow, this, this man really knows what he's doing. And he was very passionate about what he did. So he, you know, we would talk about, about the business, but he never pushed us in any one direction. He mm-hmm. never... He wasn't one of those guys who said, you know, you've got to go to uni, you've got to get a degree, you've got to do this. He was just, you know, whatever you feel is going to be best for you, just you know, give it the best. Do, mm-hmm. do the best you can. Be honest, be truthful, be hardworking. Don't take shortcuts. And I think that was the mantra through which I then, and, and I happened to just be in, in all honesty, in the right place at the right time for many of the uh, decisions that I made in my career, I could have gone, you know, one way, and I chose to go a different different path. Mm-hmm. And uh, just happened to meet some really, really good mentors along the way. Started to understand business. Uh, studied uh, through Newport University remotely, and so uh, from there, just developed a 
strong interest. When I left school and uh, got into pharmaceutical, it was really pharmaceutical repping initially. And the main reason was they gave you a car. And I was like, how cool is this? I come out of school. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm going into a, a multinational pharmaceutical company. They give you a car. They pay you well. Mm. I thought, man, I'm made. So, uh, so that that was a great entry into into pharmaceuticals, and and then I I really enjoyed what I was doing. I enjoyed the R and D, the research, the development, the impact. Um, through there, got into because my qualification was in marketing, and then business later, I got into the marketing side of the pharmaceutical side, and and there we were working with some really cool drugs um, that impacted people in in a very positive way we worked with we launched a, an anti-epileptic drug predominantly aimed at uh, children so i was involved in some of the trial work that was being done at the children's hospital and when you see the results that these drugs can have on the quality of life of young ones that 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 was a big driver for me in in those days around pharmaceuticals and being involved in the industry. And, mm. and again, it was an industry I loved, you know, I was dealing mm -hmm. with professionals on a daily basis, uh, building up some really good uh, business relationships and friendships that I've, I've kept for many, many years. Oh, that's fantastic, Dennis. And this is whilst you're still in South Africa? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. This, this was up until uh, 2000, well, before that. So then I, I got out of, of pharmaceuticals because... Mm -hmm. A, um, an opportunity arose in the uh, IT industry and there was a US company that was looking to establish itself in South Africa and I was approached if I had an interest in being part of this organization. So did a bit of re research in that and it was an opportunity for me then to start down a different, different path and through this started my own IT company with some partners and we we grew rapidly so we were in 3D design CAD software okay and uh, so that, that that was an interesting time again a whole different marketplace in terms of uh, professionals that you're dealing with so instead mm -hmm. of dealing with medical professionals you're now dealing with uh, companies who are heavily involved in design of heavy machinery or automotive so working with industrial designers, working with um, finite element analysis specialists. Um, so that, that was a really cool time for me. And then during that time, uh, one of the companies we, that we were actually representing were looking to replicate our business in South Africa, in Australia. Mm -hmm. They had an office in Australia, but they just liked the way our business was structured around consulting services and uh, software implementation. And so the senior VP at that stage asked me whether I'd be, a, you know, be willing to come over to Australia and assist in basically replicating the structure around which we had built our business over there. And uh, without ever having been to Australia, I'd never even been on holiday yet, said mm -hmm. to my wife, so what do you think? And uh, I don't think she realized, I don't think both of us realized how long this would be. So we were thinking, well, yeah, it'll be a two-year contract. We go over, you know, I've got partners who are, can look after the business over there while we expand here. And we'll look for opportunities here as well. Um, our son was very young at that, at that stage. 
uh, daughter was um, just coming out of school. So we, yeah, we, we took the plunge. We said, yeah, why not? We'll come over and, uh, and boy, that was a challenge. Right. It's just before you step into that, just, wow. so it's, you're not one of the hundreds of South Africans that I know who essentially moved to Australia to escape, you know, what was becoming for them, you know, quite uncomfortable and, you know, potentially unsafe. Um, you're, you were, you came here because uh, there was a, a job opportunity. Um, that makes you uh, not unique, but certainly more unique than most of the South Africans that I know. <laughs> Look, it plays on your mind. Absolutely. You know, we, we were very fortunate in, in South Africa. As I say, I had a, uh, an IT company doing really well. My wife was in a very, very prominent uh, position in the uh, catering or food supply um, industry. And, but you lived in, we lived in a gated estate, you know, mm-hmm. a nice estate. And you're always considering safety. So that, that, that in the back, back of your mind is always something that you're looking at. To th- and, and at that stage, we were thinking ahead, you know, what's the future for our kids um, in, in South Africa? And South Africa has so many beautiful aspects about it. So it was a very difficult decision. We were comfortable. Uh, we lived in a beautiful uh, area, beautiful home. But, yeah, and again, we were thinking, well, this will be a two-year thing potentially mm-hmm. Because uh, that was what my initial visa would be—just a two-year working visa. We'll come over, you know, get gain a bit of international experience, and and then go back. Mm-hmm. And uh, but one of the considerations definitely was the security issue and the future for the family. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so you uh, you were starting to say that when you got here, it was really tough. Oh right, when you got we got you. So when we got here, we were, you know, I was the only one who had had a job. My wife didn't have a job. Um, it put you back, in all honesty, when I, t- when I talked to my wife, she said, it put you back about 10 years. In what respect? Financially, socially, uh, all of those. You got to, you're starting from, the, from the, the basically the ground up. You've, mm-hmm. uh, you've got no network here, so you have no friends. Um, you don't understand the business environment. Um, you know, I'd built up a track record of successful uh, business in South Africa. I had a good network of people. Getting here, you know no one. So it's basically starting off from the ground level again. You've got to develop new friendships. You've got to start to understand how people do business because you do business very differently. You know, mm-hmm. just, just the terminologies I would use, people would give me this death stare. <laughs> Give me an example. So let's let's say I, I see a, a great movie. Yep. And I I think you know you would love the movie. I would, in my way of talking, I'd say you just have to go and see that movie. You've got to see it. Right. And the Australian at that stage would be you don't tell me what I have to and don't have to do. Right. So it was, and in the business environment. That they tended to find the South Africans very direct and to the point. Yeah. So when I initially got here, I would be, you know, in South Africa when I'm doing business, if you're going to buy, you'll say to me, yes, I'm going to buy, or you'll tell me to my face, I'm not buying. You know, don't waste my time or yours. Right. 
up to the point you all know where you stand. When I got here, I had to learn that it was more about not wanting to make you feel bad. So, yeah, thanks for coming around. You know, we'll look into it. And, right. and that typically meant, no, we're not going to buy. So, right. so it took me a while to realize that after months of following up and spending time with people, they just weren't going to invest in whatever mm-hmm. it was that we had. And so, again, just getting to know that, I think the mannerisms of South Africans, people find very, at times, very abrupt, short, to the point, can be a bit com- uh, confronting. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, when actually it's not, it's just the way that people sure. act. So, yeah, so I had to get used to, you know, way of doing business in Australia. And then, as I say, you know, building from a, a dual income to a single income, starting in a rental property. We still had our house back in, in South Africa. So that, that, that was good. And I still had um, you know, two business over there. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, you know, having to start from the ground, build it up slowly, slowly, made some really, really good friends. Um, and then my wife got into, uh, into industry as well. And so I had to start again at the bottom, I suppose, in um, in her industry, and then build up from there. And so to get to a you know, like-for-like environment where we had our own house, we had good friends, we both had good jobs, earning good uh, income. Yeah, as I say, it took yeah around 10 years to, to get to that level. But at no stage, Dennis, you thought, this is all too hard, let's just go home. Fortunately, no, because, and, and I've, I know people who've done that. Um, the first year is like holiday. You get mm-hmm. to, everything's new. So it's like, oh, this is really cool. Seeing new places, meeting new people. Year two, it's repeating year one. Now that, that shine of this is all really fun starts to wear off because now the reality is this is what it's going to be like. And then, but I think for, for us, we had made up our mind that by the time we got to, I think it was year two going into year three, that the future prospects for both ourselves and our children, predominantly our children's mm-hmm. children was significantly better where we were here in Australia. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a magnificent country. The opportunities for anybody here is just unbelievable. And so, yeah, we looked at it and thought, you know, we've been through the hard part. We've started to get a bit of traction going. Future looks good. So, no, we're not going to go back. And we kept looking back and talking because our families, both of our families are still over there. My parents are thankfully still alive. My dad's 86, mom's 83. So you're constantly thinking about them and their safety and their health, etc. Uh, but for us, the future was significantly better here than it would have been if we if we went back okay and so um t- talk us through uh you know i'm most interested in what you've been doing more recently but how's your career unfolded here in australia then yeah well getting into the medical devices so part of the it company that i was running yeah we interacted with a company that supplied hardware to the medical industry to cardiology units etc and that was where I got into more the medical devices here in Australia. But part of the suite of technologies they had was 
a suite in the aesthetic cosmetic area. And I then, through my business relationship with this company, was offered a position with their business. And, uh, and that's where I then applied for residency and, and citizenship. And through managing that part of the business, which was in the aesthetic um, devices, because I knew devices, etc. <clears throat> that's how I got into it. And then that company was a US based company that then came direct. And I again had the privilege of uh, an opportunity to establish that business in Australia. Through that came an acquisition. So I grew the business again. Uh, a couple of years later, uh, 2017, company I was working for then got acquired by a large uh, US women's health company <clears throat> looking to break out of that hospital-based environment into a more cash flow positive or free flow cash flow um, environment. So it took th that, that acquisition took place. And then in 2019, beginning of 2019, um, I was approached and got into discussion with InMode. And um, they were looking at the IPO that was coming and they were set for this launch onto the market, but an expansion globally. We're looking for someone who had established successful business in, in Australia and could grow an aesthetic device company. And so we got into discussion then in October 2019, we we set up the, the the company went public in September 2019. October, we set the company up here in Australia. Really started hiring um, resources and staff beginning of January 20, um, 2020, and. By March, April, we were in lockdown with COVID. And I was like, oh, my word, let's see how this goes. Mm. Yeah, new company, new business, only been in market three, three months. But I think that was one of the things that I have come to absolutely love about this company is when globally many of the top players were retrenching, downsizing, scaling back, Inmo took a different philosophy. Their philosophy um, was more around this family type environment. You know, when you're in trouble, the family looks after itself mm -hmm. and look after its own, not itself, its own. And so instead of scaling back and um, you know, limiting resources, they actually did the opposite. They went on a hiring spree. So kept all the, all the staff globally that they had and as companies were letting some of their better people go, um, InMode was hiring these people globally and also putting significant resources into R&D mm -hmm. over that period of time. And that's what you're seeing now for the business is as we slowly starting to come out of this COVID environment, even though there's so many countries who are still in lockdown, a lot of our major competitor uh, players are having to rebuild. You know, they, yep. they cut back on R&D. And once you do that, it, it, you don't just switch it on and within you know, a couple of months you're back up and running. It, it'll take two, three, five years to, to get back to where you're starting to uh, bring to market new technology. So we had 
a very, very strong R&D pipeline. And we still have. We have a pipeline that stretches three to five years mm -hmm. uh, of new technologies. We launch new products, you know, three to four new products a year, which is actually almost a problem because launching so many new technologies, you're like, well, where do you get the resources to, to manage this and bring it to market? And, um, and so that was one of the biggest advantages for, for me was, yeah, was a company who was looking after its people, who was investing heavily into R&D and expansion globally. You know, we launched <clears throat> the IPO. It was regarded as one of the top five IPOs in 2019. And uh, I think we went to market at 19 US dollars and the, the share price hit like $73. Wow. Like, so it's been a phenomenal growth story. So when did it hit $73 last week, did you say? Yeah, last week. It actually hit $78 the week before. Wow. And so uh, uh, yeah. I, I imagine you've got a few of those shares. You must be quite happy with life. That's part of the confidential discussions. <laughs> and and can I just ask, as you know, in all of your last three roles, looking at your LinkedIn profile, including this one, your title is Managing Director. Mm -hmm. So, um, and obviously different organizations in terms of different structures, particularly US companies might have presidents and vice presidents and so on. Within the Australian context, managing director, you know, you would be the owner or a substantive shareholder in the business. How, how, how is the structure? Um, uh, because you've owned your own businesses. And so it sounds to me as though you're a guy that likes to, uh, you know, have that kind of fluidity of ownership versus, you know, part of a bigger team, et cetera. What, what's your philosophy about all of that? Yeah. And again, I think the biggest advantage for me is this is a publicly owned business. So we are direct subsidiary office of a, of a globally mm -hmm. public company, but with the culture that the company had, and I must say I had that previously with the company prior to, um, the company that the woman's health business purchased, it was a very hands-off approach, which is what I loved. You know, it, it was the case of, you know, the, the, the global leadership team, we would sit and discuss what the potential market size for this business is. We would talk about the financial structure, the resource structure, um, what we'd need to invest in the business, returns we would look to get out of it. But once we had decided and agreed on how the business structure would run, they were very hands-off. So it was, there's your business. And when I set up InMode in Australia, that was exactly when, when the global CEO and myself had a meeting prior to setting the business up. You know, he said to me, he said, Dennis, let me be very clear this is going to be running your own business. We're really just financing this thing to get it off the ground. But all the decisions you make within the, the confines of a publicly traded company mm -hmm. uh, and within the constraints and conf um, of the Australian legislative arrangements and medical arrangements, within that arrangement, it was a case of set the business up, run it like your own, and let's let's have fun while we just see how this thing grows and mm -hmm. and that for me is what i needed um the company prior to this that when when it was acquired by the the large woman's health 
company had a different philosophy and it works for them. They're a hugely successful company, um, but they, they operate the business around these strategic verticals. Mm -hmm. So the business was almost broken up into these discrete verticals of finance, uh, service and engineering, uh, sales and marketing, human resources, and it became very disjointed. You know, there were layers and levels of, of reporting and you know, getting approval from one side of potentially someone who didn't really understand the side of the business. And, and that wasn't how I, you know, had operated previously. Inmode took it back to what it was prior to that, as I said, where it's a case of, it's your business, you run it, grow it. Yeah, if we've got challenges, we discuss them. Uh, but I've had the um, fortune of being able to select my own uh, team, uh, put in place the structure um, with help from the resources of the global entity, but being able to drive it from a local knowledge base. So I understand to a large degree, the Australian market, having worked in it for 20 years, you know, I have close contacts with many, many of the leading specialists um, and non-specialists, non-core. Uh, and so I understand the market and I understand what made our previous business so successful. And just replicating that, as I say, the biggest, for me, the biggest thing is I, I just have fantastic people who are dedicated, committed to doing the best they can. Um, they work very well as a team. They support each other very well. You know, we have, we have robust discussions as, as every business does, but everyone has the freedom to raise things, to come up with suggestions, to look at alternate ways of doing things. And it's worked. Well, that's great. And Dennis, um, you mentioned earlier that there are some uh, South African trades that you know made uh, learning how to do business in Australia, you know, a bit of lost in translation moments and so on. But it sounds as though you know, having now been here for what fourteen years or so, uh, uh, you've really got your head around that. What what would you say, um, you know, as somebody who's largely run businesses their entire life, you know, uh, from really early in your career, as compared to some who step into that ultimate MD or CEO level, um, you know, having had an extensive career leading up to that. What, what would you say are some of the lessons you've learned along the way that have really helped you to shape your leadership skills um, uh, to enable you to achieve the successes that you have? I think for me, um, as Going back to, as we started the conversation, I think a great role model. So mm -hmm. having been able to understand and, and see how my father ran a business, how he interacted with people, um, but openness, honesty, you know, for me, it's, it's all about the, the end user, the customer, the experience, uh, doing what you say you're going to do, making sure that, you know, when things are, are not going to pan out as they are, that people are upfront and understand what's going to, people don't like surprises. But I think for me personally, and, and I, I was listening to your, your previous podcast where you, I think you were talking about coaching. And I think having a coach 
a business coach is really, really essential. I, I've been a member of, uh, and maybe I hope I can say it on you, but I've been a member of tech for many, many years. You're welcome and- to talk about tech. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a, I know many people who are involved in tech and some yeah. have great experiences, some don't, but uh, that's like anything, isn't it? So uh, you've been involved in a tech group for some time? Yeah, I, I was with tech for just on 10 years. Mm-hmm. And um, through through tech, you know, you get to, to share the wealth of knowledge of 12, 15 of top CEOs, people who, yeah, they may be running a million dollar business, they may be running a $500 million business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just that experience of being able to bounce ideas off of them, um, listen to how they've handled certain situations, uh, gaining their experience on ways that they've dealt with a, a similar situation that you may be going through. For example, I had an issue, um, not an issue, I had a challenge within the business when I started of, um, you know, how do you manage uh, human resources, for mm-hmm. instance? You know, you're a smallish company, you've got a global uh, HR division, but again, they're global and working on you know, multi-level country HR issues. But having somebody locally, mm-hmm. so I was looking around around that situation. Uh, I was looking around recruitment, and at that stage, same thing. You know, the, the cost of recruiting uh, for a small business. I was just th- those were some of the challenges. And in one of these meetings, I was talking to um, one of the CEOs there, and she actually has an HR business, and they have something called HR on demand. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically a subscription model for a nominal fee per month that gives you access to everything that you would have if you were bringing it in-house, mm-hmm. plus more. Mm-hmm. So just that interaction saved us tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. because we could almost outsource that capability while still having access to um, you know, top level and the latest industry information around human resources. So that was one example. Um, and then on the recruitment, same thing, you know, instead of going outside to a recruiting company, which I do, um, at that stage, and it worked perfectly for us, was the suggestion to engage a HR consultant who would basically be the internal recruitment agent. Mm-hmm. And that was done on an hourly basis. So again, that saved us significant uh, mm-hmm. resources and got us to where we were. As, as you expand and as your needs grow, um, expertise becomes necessity. Mm-hmm. So it's not one size fits all forever. And so, Dennis, um, uh, it's interesting because, and I'm I'm sure you're aware, I run my version of tech called Champions Forums. And, uh, and again, groups of, you know, 10 to 12 non-compete like-sized CEOs and managing directors. It's interesting, you, you talk about coaching, but it sounds, from the examples you give, it's not so much that there is a person there coaching the 10 to 12 CEOs, you're all coaching and supporting each other it's really and i think that whether it's tech or the ceo institute or champions forum um uh quick plug for champions forum we're significantly cheaper and uh uh, uh, anyway i'll send you some information about that just but um uh 
the real benefit is from having those peers, isn't it? Um, because, you know, they're going to put up questions that you can answer. You're going to put up questions that they can answer. And as you say, it's almost like having your own personal board. In many respects, the um, what we call the chair of the group, um, they're just directing traffic. Um, and it, it makes for a really uh, powerful and extremely positive experience. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm pleased you raised that, Dennis. Uh, it's interesting. I have people who come onto this podcast that I know are coached, but like actually have a, a one-on-one business coaching relationship. And I say, oh, so, you know, um, have, would, has coaching been part of your success? They go, oh, no, I've never had a coach. <laughs> right? And the thing about it is that if you're a professional sports person, you know, if you're a uh, Wimbledon-level tennis player, you've got a, a uh, game coach and a fitness coach and a nutrition coach and a strength and conditioning coach. And um, it's if you're an actor, you've got a coach you know, in so many professions, but almost in business, it's taken as a bit of a sign of weakness. If I have a coach, then that means that there's something wrong with me. But um, I've always had coaches. In fact, at the moment, I'm working with three different coaches at the moment um, because you need that reflection, that ability to, you know, have somebody who can reflect back to you what's truly going on. And um and so have you had a one-on-one coaching relationships like that as well, Dennis, or more in this sort of group scenario? Yeah, no, well, I was with Tech up until um, last year and then taking on the, the new role of growing the business, I decided to take a bit of a break in terms of instead of working on the business, initially I had to work in the business, get mm-hmm. all the structures going. And so at that stage, I looked at you know the, the value that I was getting from Tech and I could see that I needed to be at another level before I really rejoined tech or gained mm-hmm. the maximum benefit. Mm-hmm. So I do have a one-on-one coach. So instead of being a tech, I engaged a one-on-one coach um, and Phil and I work together, you know, once a month or, and he's available, you know, I'll, I'll give him a call if there's things I want to discuss or he's been very open and, and helpful to others in the business. Mm-hmm. He's quite happy just to, you know, share his knowledge with the different, different business heads in, in the business. Um, but it, it's interesting what you say, because yeah, when you're in an MD CEO role, Everyone below you has somebody they can ask for advice. They can bounce things off. They can bring a problem. They can bring a suggestion. When you're at, it can be very lonely at the top because there's Definitely. nobody to bounce things off. And um, and you're running the business. You're trying to make the best decisions you can for the company, the organization, the the, the staff. And you know we're not experts in everything, and mm. industries change. So I think it, it's for me, it's been invaluable having somebody that I can, you know, when I'm going through a really difficult time or I've got to make a business decision, just somebody that I can bounce it off and say, hey, listen, this is where we are. This is the situation. This is what I'm thinking. And I think that's one of the good things about coaching is not having someone who gives you the answer, but someone who questions Mm. the decisions, the decision-making process. 
you yep. say, well, you know, okay, so that's, tell me what you're thinking, why you're thinking that, why did you do this, what will happen if you don't do this, what will happen if you do do this. So you need someone, and as you said, someone who can give you that reality check. Mm, you're uh, absolutely, yeah, I think that that's the difference between a coach and a mentor is that a, a mentor yeah. is there to tell you what to do, a coach is there to help you to come to your own awareness. Um, and as you say, being a CEO or an MD or even a C-suite executive can be very lonely because not only, well, it's not so much that there are not necessarily people you can ask, but often you don't want to ask them. But, you know, there are things that you don't want to talk to your board about or your peers about or your subordinates about. You don't want to go home and burden your husband or your wife. You know, as I say, I try to talk to my dogs, talk to my dogs about it, but they're not very helpful. So where, where, where do you go and, and be able to take that mask off and be more vulnerable and say, mm -hmm. hey, guys, I don't know what to do here. I really need help to work out what to do for sure. Let's just use the last few minutes, um, Dennis, you know, to look towards the future. So, you know, uh, you've been involved in this business now for about 18 months and it's been going really well. And we're now, you know, at the tail end of hopefully, you know, um, this COVID situation and we will be moving into COVID normal. Yeah. What, what, what do you look, what do you see the future, not only for in mode, but also for your own career? Like, what would you like to see unfold over the next few years? Interesting question. I do, I do think, I do think we're going to return to some form of COVID normality. I just attended last weekend the first uh, live trade show um, okay. for the year, which, and you could just see the enthusiasm of people interacting you know face to face um so people need that interaction even though we've learned how to do things via video conferencing uh, all all the the kind of digital engagements and people who were i think that's been a good thing in that people previously who were absolutely anti this form of digital interaction have been forced into a way of engaging and embracing it and have actually become very comfortable with it. I, th I think of my parents when they first heard about Zoom, you know, they, they, they wanted to die. They didn't know how to, you know, what is a, what's an iPad? You know, how do you set these things up? But now they're on, you know, they're on Zoom and they're on uh, WhatsApp video and they just learn to adapt. So mm. I think people have learned how to do it, but there's still this, this definite need my wife and I were talking about this the other night, where particularly when businesses go through change, um, you need to develop good, strong bonds, relationships. And over Zoom, you can get, or over whichever um, internet video conferencing tool you use, you can, you can gain a level of understanding, see someone, build up a bit of a rapport, but that personal interaction of spending time together, watching facial expressions, body language is still very, very critical. So I definitely see us reverting back to a sort of pre-COVID norm of uh, personal interaction. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to see as much travel. I, I definitely think companies have realized that the amount that they spent on corporate travel, flying people around, the world for you know one day meeting or two day meeting and having them out the office for five days and on expensive flights. I think you're going to see that drop back dramatically. Um, so I think that's where we we see the industry for us as, as a business. 
the predictions from the analysts uh, on Wall Street is that InMode is set to continue this phenomenal growth because we are really in a gap treatment area. Mm -hmm. And it was the focus of the R&D team on this gap market that is this minimally invasive, minor surgical approach with minimal downtime, but almost surgical-like results has really driven the market and created a new market. And that we've seen even through COVID uh, with, with the results that we spoke about earlier, that we've seen this drive and this continued acceptance of this kind of treatment. Um, so I think the market is the market will continue to grow. The aesthetic market is just one of those markets. We always want to look good, feel good. Um, so, but it's going to be around, we introduced two new technologies again, that had been in R&D for many years, but we just happened to launch them at the perfect time because they were hands-free technologies for skin tightening, fat reduction, muscle strengthening. Um, and people wanted that. They wanted an environment that was COVID safe. They wanted an environment where they could uh, get clinical outcomes, but without a direct interaction. So a safety point of view. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a lot more of that. You're going to see a lot more of focus on more of these hands-free, uh, minimally interactive type of treatment indications. So, Dennis, have you got a machine that I can put on my stomach to go from a dad bod to a six-pack? We do. <laughs> All right. Sign so, me up. <laughs> uh, I will talk to you about it. All uh, right. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. We, oh, we that, you see, that's a good thing about Zoom. You only see my head. <laughs> and the whole, you know. The hands-free one for the face as well. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I, you know, it's uh, the one thing about this Zoom-based environment, I don't get me wrong, I love it. I love the convenience. I love the, the ability to have much broader scope and so on. It's that, you know, I used to be in town and I'd do my 15,000 steps a day, just walking around going from coffee meeting to coffee meeting to office to et cetera. Now it's like, oh, you know, I need to have some meetings. I walk 20 steps down the corridor. I sit down in my office. Oh, it's lunchtime, 10 yeah. steps into the kitchen. And so uh, I imagine there's a lot of people that could use that machine. All right, Dennis, uh, I know you're very busy. So let's just, before we wrap it up, just um, we've spoken a lot about business today. Uh mm -hmm. Well, what's Dennis like when he's not at work? What are the things you like to do to keep the petrol tank full and, and remain as enthusiastic as you obviously are? <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, family, my wife and I do um, you know, spend a lot of time together. We love to travel. So um, we, we do a lot of that and uh, been restricted a bit with, with COVID and borders closing. So now that they open, uh, so we love to travel. I do a lot of reading. I'm, um, I'm uh, actively involved in my uh, church. So I do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's just family. My son is still stuck overseas in uh, Germany with COVID. He's been there since 2019. He's uh, hopefully he's on a flight on the 6th of April. So um, this will be his seventh attempt. And uh, so we're hoping that he actually makes it onto this flight. So it'll be good to have him back. Um, so, yeah, family, uh, I love to play golf. So right. that, that's my uh, exercise outlet, mm -hmm. is, um, getting out and swinging the clubs. But, yeah, just, um, you know, I love, I love business. I, I really do. I love reading. I love uh, 
looking at case studies, looking at what other companies can do. I love to achieve. I love to see other people achieve. So for me, the, the big driver is as I see this business grow and as I've seen other business grow, that's really the spur for me. Seeing cust our customer base grow, spending time with them, seeing the staff grow. Um, yeah, those are the things that, that, that drive me. I wake up in the morning. I'm excited about you know, what the day will, will hold for us. And um, yeah, at the end of the day, sit down, have a glass of red, you know, decompress, talk about what happened during the day. We have this, uh, we never used to, well, we did minimal cooking because, you know, there's only two of us in the house. Mm. And um, one of our friends introduced us to one of these companies that delivers food at your door and then you cook it. Right. So, um, so that's become a big thing for us. We do yeah. that three times uh, a week and, Actually, it, it's really cool because we, we're in the kitchen together for half an hour, 45 minutes, just talking, preparing food. Right. Um, so, so that's been really cool. Oh, that's excellent, Dennis. I love cooking too, but uh, I hate cooking with another person. But uh, <laughs> they, they can sit on the other side of the bench and drink a glass of wine and keep me company, but uh, stay out of the kitchen. Well, Dennis, uh, all right, so uh, anybody who's listening in, if you're looking at yourself on Zoom every day and you're going, maybe I could uh, give myself a bit of a touch-up. Uh, then uh, in the show notes, you'll see information not only about Dennis and his LinkedIn profile, but also Inmode Australia. And uh, and uh, that was a fantastic conversation, Dennis. I really appreciate it. I, uh, so after this, uh, you can send me information about uh, blasting away my dad bot, and I'll send you information about joining Champions Forum. And uh, I look forward to uh, catching up with you. And in the meantime, have a fantastic afternoon. Fantastic. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Dennis. All the best. Thank you for listening to the Arate podcast with Richard Triggs. We frequently feature guests from organisations we are currently recruiting to build the company brand as an attraction strategy for candidates. If you would like to promote your organisation's brand as an employer of choice, please contact Richard directly on 0403 588 517 or via email richardt at arateexecutive.com.au. The Arate podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.